Welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Sports. Yesterday we had the match, sports seem to be coming back, and I'm with my buddy Ryan here to break it down for all of you. Ryan, it's great to be here with you, man. How are you doing today, Goldie? Glad to be back. Oh yeah, dude. It's a really great time right now. Sports are slowly seeming to ease their way back. We have a lot to talk about. The match was yesterday. Peyton, Tiger, Phil, Tom. We're going to break it down. We've got a great interview coming up with our buddy Tyler Polkrone. Ryan, how excited are you for that? Well, it's a be- it was a beautiful weekend here. Golf courses are back open, and we got to sit around and watch live sports yesterday. My favorite athlete, or my favorite football player of all time, Peyton Manning. That was just an absolute treat. Get to see him and Tiger Woods go at Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. The best day I've had in a long time. I second that, man. It was honestly, I haven't been that fired up since football season. Not even lying to you. Literally one of the best days in a while. But before we dive more into the match, we're going to have Tyler here to do that with us. Let's talk a little bit about some modern news that's come about throughout the last week. So the NFL has opened their practice facilities. The NBA has opened their practice facilities. And only a couple days ago, the New York governor announced that sports are officially allowed as of his announcement. So we're making strides. New York was one of the most heavily impacted places. And it seems like we're in the, they're going to be recovering pretty well. So that kind of sets the stand for us here, sets the picture, so to speak. So let's, uh, let's get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so it's huge that uh, facilities are opening up again. Players need to be working out. And if there's any talk about them coming back, it means they need time to prepare and get their legs ready, most importantly. Like, when, if you really think about it, like, yeah, they're working out, but they're at home. They're not at their facilities with their trainers getting treatment. That's my number one thing is the access to all the therapists and the mas- like, you know, you can finish practice, go get your massage, go in the hot tub and like get treatment on your left knee if it's sore that day. Like it's that type of stuff at home that you're, mi- that you're missing. It's the whole daily routine of being in the facility. So I think that's the first step towards mainstream sports being back and couldn't be more excited. 100% man. Clearly all of the sports are trying to ease their way back as fast as they can. We're all big NFL fans here. The NFL was very, very fortunate that their schedule aligned, you know, opposite with the outbreak of this virus because some of these other leagues like the NBA and the NHL, whom, you know, we're also big fans of, they got really, you know, heavily impacted both in terms of their economics and our ability to enjoy it as fans. But New York was one of the, you know, as I mentioned a minute ago, really heavily impacted, and they're opening the door for sports. We might not be able to be there as fans, but it is looking like sports are going to be coming back sooner than later. And, you know, if I may say this, it does look like our NFL season will be starting on time. It just might be without the fans. So I'm really excited about the developments that have been, you know, happening these past few weeks. Well, first off, I'm just wondering how quickly they can really get everything rolling at full steam, just inside their facilities and within within the organizations like you know nothing's been operating normal for the last two months so yes it timed out with the other sports but like football doesn't stop it's a 12 it's 12 months the off season as you know is just as not just as relevant but like it has that impact with all those big moves to just determine what's going to happen during the season and I think this year has been a really strange, just the whole operation has changed. So mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see how the transition into training camps go or into mini camps, OTAs go. So I can't wait, but it's going to be different. Yeah, championships are definitely a developing process. You can't just put in the work in one day. It's something that, as you said, it's year round. You got to be constantly grinding. So undoubted that you're right about that. 
So I want to talk to you a little bit about before we go into the match here. So pardon my take, one of our favorite podcasts, we listen to it a lot. <clears throat> they had Mark Cuban on the other day, and he talked about your gambling idea about the kiosks. <clears throat> want to talk about that for us? So I really think it comes down to the Vegas Raiders. And if they're going to be able to have, if I think it's event, they're eventually going to have in-stadium gambling. And it's up to the Nevada Gaming Commission to really determine when and how that will work. And once that's going within the NFL and it's regulated and allowed, whatever it may take, there's a chance it will spread to other states and other stadiums. And I don't know, I think that's what Vegas is going to be about when it comes to, like, it hasn't been that bad with their hockey team, but it's because their hockey team is so new and just did so well right away. But, like, I feel like football is a whole different animal when it comes to gambling. And kiosks could be a very real possibility to make up for revenues lost for these teams. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, last episode, Ryan referenced the idea of having kiosks in NFL stadiums to potentially mitigate the losses from uh, the coronavirus and all that. So Mark Cuban on the show actually lit a little bit of lighter fluid on this idea by saying that he sees this as a possibility, the idea that legalizing gambling and promoting it within these sporting venues could be a way of mitigating the losses from the virus. I think that's a great idea and could have, you know, tremendous economic impact considering how avid betters uh, sports fans are, you know, it's almost entirely intertwined with our demographics. So we can speak to that firsthand. So yeah, Vegas is always going to be the role model when it comes to sports gambling, I'd say. So no one's going to take a jump forward and be like, oh, we're going to allow sports betting within a stadium. It's not like all of a sudden the state of New York's like, oh, yeah, like you can go to New Era Field and gamble on these games. Like, no, it's going to come down. It's going to come down to Vegas. And uh, it's re- it's relevant, but like I don't see it being something that's going to come up in the present future right now. Like the focus is so far away from that. Like in the big picture is getting back to sports, like even without fans, like. You can't even think about that yet. And I, I understand where you're coming from because a lot of people, like I know a lot of our listeners are, I mean, they want they'd rap, they want us sitting here giving them picks because they're all avid gamblers. But like, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you 100%. I just think it's interesting that this was an idea that we were kind of just tossing back and forth an episode ago, you know, a couple weeks later. Now we're here talking. One of the biggest entrepreneurs in the world and Mark Cuban has said that he actually sees this as a likely possibility moving forward to try and recoup the damage here. So really interesting, honestly. I'm impressed that you were able to kind of piece that together before it was presented to the public. And it's a, it's a good, interesting topic to talk about. So I'm happy we got to discuss that a little bit here. But now let's get to what we've been waiting for. The match was yesterday. We've got a lot of thoughts on that. We've got a great guest coming up. So any last thoughts before we go over to our interview with Poli? Honestly, let's just get after it. What a day it was yesterday. And I'm super pumped up for this. Let's go. Second that, man. All right, take, take care, folks. We'll be back in a second. And now we'd like to welcome Tyler Polkron to the show. This is one of our greatest friends and definitely one of the best golf minds we know. Thank you for coming on, Tyler. Thanks for having me, boys. Excited to uh, to talk some sports with you. Oh, yeah, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. So we all know the match was on yesterday. Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning versus Phil and Brady. Went pretty much about as we expected, but ended up being a close match come the end. What are your thoughts on the show? Uh, at first, I was a little concerned that the match would even happen the rain was looking like it was coming down pretty sideways and uh happy they shook that off quick there's no lightning apparently so 
A little water never hurt. Sticker okay, how that. great was it? Like during that delay when we just got like those quick interviews and just watching them like hack the ball. Yeah. Like that was just fun. Like that just like made the show even better. Yeah, I love all the trash talking too. It started on the range and didn't really end till till ever, I guess. Phil was yeah, you had like you had like Peyton's interview and like Tom was making comments in the background. It's just fifty six, like hilarious. I never yeah. thought I'd be so excited to drink beers and watch Peyton Manning warm up on the on a fucking uh, on a golf course, man. Like, oh. never thought we'd see that day, but it's exciting. Oh. To see what was the one chirp about Peyton in his commercials? It's like, uh, it's like who has more? Com- it's like, oh, um, does Peyton have more commercials filmed or Tiger major wins? <laughs> They're like, yeah, something like that. I think yeah. Charles Barkley was was good too. Oh, that he, boat challenge was fun too. Yeah. He, he almost made it, honestly. He's gotten a lot better since the last time I saw him. Yeah, he's wearing a club. So, Poli, uh, you mentioned the rain. I want to ask you, now that it's all said and done, there was obviously a ton of rain. Do you think it contributed to how good the event was, or would you rather it would have been a nice sunny day? Uh, I think I think most people would probably prefer a nice sunny day. Just, uh, I mean, a little easier on on the eye i'd say and there was a little bit of technical issues with like the microphones and stuff having the uh some of the analysts not being able to hear the players and vice versa but i think it definitely added like another layer of excitement you could say in terms of like that they weren't really preparing for this obviously kind of environment and they had to kind of adapt to that and looked like looked like it was pretty tough for tom but that's um... exactly what i was gonna say there. <laughs> to be honest tom brady did not appreciate that front nine the alternate yeah. boat came along and it looked like the mickelson brady team started to get a little bit of a flow going but it really felt like on the front nine that it was more of that woods taking over because they had that um they had the better score format going so it really felt like yeah. okay the holes where they had strokes the um the amateurs would come into play but other than that, it really felt like a Woods Mickelson match. Yeah, Tiger didn't even miss the fairway on the front. From like three to seven. What's that? Especially down that early stretch on the front nine from three to seven. Yeah. Well, you had something to say. You've been itching, so go ahead. Yeah. So, Poli, being a Patriots fan, it must have been a little bittersweet to watch Tom stink it up on the front nine, wasn't it? Honestly, I, I was kind of enjoying it, to be honest. A little too soon to uh, forgive that guy quite yet, but. Uh, and, and in all honesty, it looked like he was having fun. He was taking the taking the chirps pretty well from everyone and all the tweets. So kind of got to hand it to him. It's not easy to walk up there with, you know, millions of people are watching. And even though they might not be by your side, it's still, uh, still a different pressure than on the football field, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I want to throw both of you on the spot really quickly here. If you could just think here for a second, give me one takeaway or opinion, anything relating to the match that you think is notable that you want to bring forward. I'll go first to give you a little time to think about it. One thing that caught my caught my eye immediately, and that you know was pretty, uh, I was pretty happy about it considering my Broncos bias. But Peyton Manning's a great golfer, especially for someone that hasn't been golfing for a long time. Like he was making hard shots, easy. pretty impressive, honestly. <laughs> I thought you were going to comment on his heart and the Broncos logo. That's what I thought was coming out of your mouth there. Honestly, that was just a bonus. 
to be honest, Peyton did look a lot more comfortable. But I mean, yeah. once Tom got it going, he was hitting good shots. It really, I mean, there was one chip on the front nine. I'd say probably maybe the sixth hole after they did that the one club challenge. That was really entertaining. Tiger yeah. to four iron. And Phil's like, what? Like, that's a, like, how are you going to hit your second shot with that? And he just, like, honestly hit a flop shot with a four iron. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. But after that, I think it was the sixth hole. Brady was going for a chip, and it was one of those where you kind of just like you can tell he was decelerating, where he just stopped at the ball and it just didn't go anywhere. Took a chunk out of the grass, and like it's yard. so often on Florida grass in wet conditions. But like once you saw those shots, it was like all right. Like if Brady has the confidence, he'll be able to hit good balls. But if he kind of takes those half-ass swings, it's going to be a long day out there for him. So it was good to see him. Uh, put it together yeah. a little bit what i really appreciated was um i guess that when you're watching golf usually you really can't hear anything the players are saying um but when they were like on the greens and even around the greens even on the fairways like just hearing the pros kind of tell the quarterbacks kind of like what they would be thinking in that shot and where they would land the ball and all different types of stuff with which way the grain is moving on the grass and how how that'll affect the ball when it lands and all that kind of crazy stuff that no one other than pros think of but we don't really get to hear, hear that side from a average golf tournament so i enjoyed that mm, to I mean, piggyback I'm... off of that honestly one thing just to add on to what you were just saying there phil was really really entertaining and we all knew Peyton was going to be entertaining because we've all just seen him on the various shows he's been on you know but man like he was <laughs> like Bill was almost as good as Peyton but Peyton's like a world-class entertainer like he was like you know really just like carrying along the show with like in between the holes pretty much exactly what you're talking about just keeping everyone engaged making a you know a good event out of it all for a good purpose obviously but Phil definitely was a surprisingly good contributor to that you know environment as well that's what I love about Phil Mickelson these days like it's almost like a new man like he was a pretty dialed in contained player out there and it was only in the recent years when the social media age where he finally was like he's became a really good entertainer like phil of course he's always been good for that good for the game of golf like remember that video from like 10 years ago where he's like how to hit a flop shot backwards and he's like yeah. just gotta flick the wrist <laughs> it was like he brings that personality every day now it's like hitting bombs yeah. attacking pins like it's yeah. It's activating the calves. It's going to draw in the younger generation of golfers, not out there following every rule. Like, seeing them in shorts is honestly, in my opinion, great for the game. I don't know why they don't wear shorts. It's kind of ridiculous to me. I mean, like, it definite, like, you can argue it looks less professional, but, I mean, like, who cares, really? These guys are I the best players in the world. It has to come down with maintaining the prestige in the way that, like, tennis and golf does with sponsors like Rolex. Yeah. So it's really about keeping that, like, high-class professionalism. But, I mean, it's so cool to see them storm around in shorts. Yeah. I'm going to go into them driving around their golf carts and those cameras in the carts. Yeah. Or they not driving the carts like degenerates. Like, I'm going to go right – like, they were not looking up. Go on one hand. Phil jumped out of the cart while I was moving once. Like, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Brady's like, just like us out there. 
Brady's the poster child for texting and driving. He's yeah. Like, no, but, no, but Tiger, like, I think I was on the first hole. Like, Tiger just scratches balls or something, and, like, he'd have, like, half hanging out of the car. Like, yeah. Oh, man, like, this is the inside scoop we need on the golf course. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The point about the, uh, the etiquette was kind of interesting because I agree with both of you that like it is kind of odd that shorts aren't allowed, but I definitely think you're right in your analysis of that, Ryan, that it really all just goes back to them trying to like maintain this like almost like barbaric, like high etiquette standard in golf that's like not really like aligned with how a lot of golfers feel nowadays. Like you want to show your respect and have course etiquette like filling your divots and stuff, but you know, no one needs to be wearing pants on a 30 degree day or something like that. That's just kind of yeah, taking it a yeah. step far. Well, if, divots, if divots aren't getting filled, there's a problem. The maintenance staff needs to step up their game. But honestly, they did a wonderful job at Medalist dealing with the conditions. Same thing yeah. as Seminole last uh, last weekend. It was awesome. Um, shout out to that. that. I mean, it ended with the closest to the pin challenge. That was pretty fun to watch, too. Yeah. Um, so now let's dive into the actual aspects of the match. Third hole, par five which is actually the fourth hole at Medalist. They switched around the format, so this would be the longest drive. Right. I mean, Tiger absolutely piked one down the middle. Phil snap hooked one. So, I mean, right there, you kind of saw them taking a little bit of a charge, but then you go onto the par three on the next hole and Payton sinks a 15-footer to go two yeah. up. A 15-foot putt to go two up. I mean, that stretch of the golf course, did you really feel like, okay, like Tiger and Payton are that much better of a team? Because I really would say the format on the front nine was more of that competitive golf format, and then the back nine allowed for the show to go on and keep it close. I agree. Yeah, I think, uh, like you were saying, like um, just how they did all like the different kind of events with like the closest to the pin, the long drive and all that stuff, like guys throwing in extra money, hearing them trash talk on the tee a little bit. It just, yeah, it added a lot. Of, like every single one of those challenges too. Yeah, I think he did. Well, he was just, I mean, I guess for the longest drive, you had to keep it in the fairway and he was just, well, he a was fairway. yeah, he could have won the longest drive without his driver there. Yeah, he could have yeah. had a six. No, I mean, what was it? Phil snap hooked one, paid and hit one short. And Brady, Brady, obviously. Obviously sliced one, right? Yeah. All out. What was it when he put when he, he was hitting his fifth shot off the tee on his second provisional? That was yeah. And he he still played the hole pretty well. Like from tee to green, he played it well. Yeah, honestly. I loved when... Uh, near going in play. Probably his 10th shank off the tee of the day. And Tiger goes, yeah, that'll be on the fairway on whole yeah, side. Yeah, no, his only, and his only defense was like, I'm, <laughs> super, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl, bro. Like, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> okay, one thing I got to comment on real quick. How many times in your life have you been sitting there watching sports and been like, imagine if Samuel L. Jackson was commentating? <laughs> like, yeah. we got to witness Samuel L. The only thing that would have been about, it's like, we got motherfucking Tiger Woods on the team now. <laughs> Like my life would be complete. I can go six feet under tomorrow, and I'd be fine. <laughs> I agree. But for now, I mean, that was awesome. I've literally like, I replayed that like ten times. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson is now the best voice in sports, in my opinion. Yeah, and and also we hadn't mentioned Justin Thomas yet. I thought that was a he good. A uh, he did a good job. Yeah. I mean, for his first time, it's just kind of cool to see. 
like a guy that's usually obviously hitting the ball around to just be observing. I'm sure he was uh, he preferred his role yesterday. I'm sure with all the rain coming down. Yeah, I, think he said I mean, what do you guys think about the two gloves? That's kind of a weird look, especially like. Yeah, I didn't. I, I'd never I obviously that. was just like, nope, not doing that. Like that's against my style. Yeah. Phil was fully wearing the two black rain gloves. Like that's that's something you don't even on tour. Like you, if it's coming down really hard, like you might see them do it for like a hole, but like you never see them wearing full gloves the whole time. Yeah. So what? You think that was a hundred percent because of the rain, or was kind of sending a message because of this whole COVID nineteen pandemic? And that's interesting. Kind of, oh, we're wearing two gloves to like send the message. The because uh, it that was I was like, oh, at first, yeah, they just wanted the rain. Oh, I was gonna say, adding on to that, like I don't know if any of you saw, but there was a really big uh, a really big hole in the match. I'm not sure which one it was off the head, but. Brady or Phil, one of them was able to level out the score a little, and they went to like celebrate and go for a high five, and yeah. they both, like simultaneously pull out the high five. Yeah, it's kind of like, I guess, adding on to what you're saying, kind of about like sending messages nationally about like you know, yeah. stuff. Because I, I think you might be onto something there because that was something that caught my eye immediately. I was like, they fully just backed out of their high five. Yeah, I think, yeah. That, I think that was on the 11th green, and they're starting to loosen up a little bit, and they almost slipped up actually, and it was like. I thought that was when, when Tommy sunk uh, Phil's drive, the eagle putt, and he drove the green. Was that on 11? Uh, I don't know what hole it was on. It was, a par, I, it was 330, par 4. He just bombed it over I think the that, I think that had to be the 11th hole because that was the first hole they won. Yeah. Yeah, Tom sunk a great putt. Phil gave him about a five-minute analysis on the, uh, on the slope of the green. Clearly, it worked. One thing I want to talk about here really quickly before we move on to another topic in the match, we uh, we kind of referenced this a bit earlier about like the mental toughness of, of golf players and really athletes in general. And we know Brady, who's like widely regarded as the GOAT, Peyton Manning, who I like to argue is the GOAT. These two are, you know, these are two of the top class guys in football. So arguably, you know, some of the guys with the highest mental toughness of all guys in the sport. But what it really speaks speaks to is that in golf, those skills aren't really transferable. You know, everyone in golf always, you know, stressing the aspect of having good mental toughness and repetition and practice and all that. But this kind of really helped put it into perspective for a lot of us sports fans because you saw two of the world-class athletes in football. You know, Peyton was really good, but he's clearly been putting in a lot of work. But a guy like Brady, kind of seeing him play like human on the golf course, yeah, really shows how tough it is to be a good golfer and how tough it is to have a good mental game. Yeah, exactly. And that just that just shows how... I guess unique of a sport golf is in the sense that you really can't rely on anyone else, I guess, other than your caddy to kind of carry your performance or even lean on them. It's really just, you have to be locked into to one goal and really there's not any room for any mistakes. So got to kind of hand it to those guys to just be the stone face machines they are. I don't remember what commentator it was, but he was mentioning how Brady and Manning, you know, might be struggling early on. This was on uh, one of the first few holes because, you know, they're playing in front of national television and they know it and all the camera crews around. And don't get me wrong. I know what it's like to be on the golf course when you're not that good of a golfer and have all these people staring at you and how it fucks with your mental game. But I'm just an ordinary guy. Like this is Brady and Manning, like two blooded guys in all of football. So I, I do have trouble believing that they let that factor in. I think it's more for Brady that he wasn't really golfing a lot. 
So I have to give them, you know, give them, a, I guess, an excuse there because that's a pretty fair excuse. Golf is a tough sport and involves a lot of repetition. But I think that, uh, I guess, mental element in terms of their uh, comfort comfortability in crowds, I think that was a bit overplayed. I think it just ties into like how tough golf is to stay focused, regardless of the cameras on you or all that. They're pretty used to the cameras, I think. Yeah, I agree. Take so, Ryan, you mentioned your uh, you mentioned the Peyton birdie putt that got uh, they got Tiger and Peyton up to on I think hole four it was. That's definitely one of my favorite moments in the match. Want to tell me a couple of your guys' favorite moments from the match? So I'm going to first off talk about that third, fourth hole stretch. I know I already brought it up quickly, but that was one of the most entertaining parts of this whole match. I mean, to be honest, that's at, those two holes were actually flipped. So the par three was supposed to be the third hole. that On the medalist scorecard, that is the third hole. And they switched it to make the par five fourth hole the third hole in this match. So, I mean... Right off the bat, they're going longest drive. Phil t- Phil was first on the tee because he had honors on the first tee. They have the first two holes, so he was he had the um, the first go at it, and he literally looked like he was taking a long drive swing, and it was awful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did he say? He mentioned something about his calves. He's like, I need to activate the calves. Yeah. Started, like, pit, I think because Tiger says he's got to activate his quads or something, so I think Phil like, is throwing a little jab at him. Um, uh, one moment that caught my eye, man, I just like... Sorry, what was that, Ryan? So then you get to the fourth hole, and they both, like T- Tiger and Peyton, both hit good balls. Um, Brady and Nicholson both didn't hit great ones, and we're kind of like, okay, like, if Tiger two putts, like, it's all right. They're going to have to hold, go on. And then, boom, Tiger doesn't even have to go at it. Peyton sinks that 15-footer. Like, there was no doubt about it, too. Yeah. Man, yeah. honestly, getting to cheer like that, like, I was saying to one of my buddies, like, I haven't cheered that loud as I did when Peyton sunk that sloping birdie putt on four since the football season. Like, I don't think I've, like, yelled that loud and been like, let's go! Since, you yeah. know, since then, it's been that long. It was just such a nice, you know feeling of relief there another you know another part of the uh, of the match that really caught my eye so i have to give reference to it the fact that phil so effortlessly drove the green on that uh on that, that, drive. Was, 11. that was 11 actually i was wrong that so brady didn't hold out on 11 that was the one that he held out on seven shot so brady hit the putt yeah drove the green and it was like five feet from the cup or something like i no, mean oh no no it was like when it landed, when it landed. no it landed oh it yeah landed yeah yeah five feet from the pin and like took some weird balance yeah. but like he literally attacked that yeah no yeah i thought you meant the pot was five feet no, no, oh, no it was a good pot 25 footer yeah you're i mean phil gave him all the info he needed on it and then some, that was but... also one of the really entertaining aspects of it was seeing like phil coach Phil and coaching up Brady, Peyton, yeah. or sorry, Tiger coaching up. <laughs> yeah, you know, Peyton probably had a few tips for Tiger too. The sheriff always ha- always has that me- that mentality. Yeah. I know we saw his scorecard from that practice round was out of control. Imagine what it would be like sitting in a film room with him. Yeah, I'll talk about that here for a second because one of the things that caught my eye, man, we all saw that picture that Peyton posted days before, right? Kind of shows his pre-match prep. But something that the announcers pointed out that I was catching on to a bit earlier on as well was that Peyton and Tiger 
had a lot less communication during the actual match than Phil and Brady were. That doesn't necessarily mean that Tiger wasn't helping out Peyton because we all saw, you know, the preparation that was getting put in behind the season, the scenes. But it also was kind of interesting to see how like Phil and Brady had more of like a vocal relationship and how they were golfing together. Whereas like Tiger and Peyton had this like unspoken understanding almost like he'd help them with reads and they talk on the greens. But aside from that, it was pretty much locked in. Go do your thing. Yeah, I think that definitely somewhat relates to the fact that Brady could barely hit the ball for the first few holes. So I think Phil was kind of like, all right. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I did love to see it. Um, but, yeah, to get back on your question, Goldie, about uh, my favorite part of the match, um, probably similar to a lot of people's, but it would probably have to be the Tom Brady holeout, not just because of a great shot, but just kind of the whole – the entire hole in – in or in general, it was just a par five. Brady did like didn't even hit the green in regulation. He sunk his fourth shot for birdie from the fairway because he just basically shanked his first three shots. And but the the maybe the best part about that hole was the fact that Tiger was easily on the green in two, putting for eagle. And even though Brady hit this amazing shot, spun it back into the hole, Tiger lipped out of the eagle putt to win the hole. Like, he missed it by about a quarter of an inch, and that would have just put, put a whole end to Tom Brady's glory for literally a minute. And they still well, have the hole. On one. If that didn't hit the pin, that was going off the green. Like, that hit yeah. center cup with so much speed. Like, yeah. It literally bit, and it looked like someone just hammered a putt. Like, it was flying. I was so saying the same thing. Straight off the green, and the fact that it went center cup was just so cool. Like, Brady was like – it was like he just won the Super Bowl. He gave a little speech in his car as he was driving up the fairway. Yeah. He's like, yeah, like, I want to thank my wife and kids. Yeah. I'm on a golf course. <laughs> He's yeah. like, I haven't gotten to talk a whole lot the first seven holes, but uh, after that – feel like I'll have a little bit of uh, camera time on me. <laughs> and then I'm just like saying, like before Tiger's putt, I'm like, how classic of Tiger would it be to just hold this thing like from 40 feet, 30 feet, and just put an end to all that noise right then and there? Man, you, uh, Pooley, you referenced the Tiger trash talk to Brady about the whole seven, you know, yeah. shake. But we didn't really talk a lot about how entertaining this trash talking was. You referenced it a little earlier, but the, even from the get-go, they kind of set the, set the tone right away. They went to Manning, they had him on the, uh, on the driving range, and he starts hitting them with these Nick Fools lines, the Eli Manning line. line the, yeah, the Gronk line. That <laughs> kind of just like got me going. I remember I was just starting to get the drinks in me. I was like, all right, it's yeah. still little bit here like when are we gonna get the show rolling and then yeah. bam, right out of the gate chirps flying and i'm like oh we got an event we got live sports yeah. <laughs> they're on the range in the rain warming up and interviewed, throwing chirps but tom could hear him in the background and the cameras are picking that all up yeah i want football yeah no uh, and not even like i guess building off of the trash talk aspect, but a couple other just smaller things that I, I thought was kind of funny in the match to observe was like, uh, for example, it was one of the holes, on maybe eight or nine, one of the later holes on the, on the front nine. Um, 
I think uh, Tiger and Peyton both had a five or less foot putt to win the hole. And I guess just in the little attempt to get in their head, uh, Phil was was not conceding the putts right away. He was he was letting them read them and letting them talk about them, and I guess just trying to get in their own heads a bit. And right as they would go to line up the putt, Phil would just be like, "Yeah, that's good," and just like kind of waste some time getting their head a little bit, make them read the putt, make them think about it, and then just tell them to pick it up. I thought. Stuff like that was kind of funny to. What about that par three? What was it? The eighth hole where Peyton, um, Peyton dialed in a disgusting yeah. shot, and then like as Phil's driving up to the green, he goes, "Wait, like Peyton has a shot here. Like if he if he holds this birdie, it's like a net ace, like a two for one." Yeah. And like he ended up missing the putt, making the net birdie anyways, and having the hole. But like, yeah, I'm, it's like on like the scorecard of the match, it's like Peyton Manning won. But like obviously not on the hole in one. Like yeah. that was dude, this the action on that ball when it came in, like pin tucked in back left, dialed oh, it just back, dialed. It zips and stays right on the money. Peyton was great with his irons, man. He hit, hits a nice draw and just the balls are nice and high. Yeah, inside out movement there, like it's just a controlled draw. Like obviously I think he could hit it further if he kinda like Yeah. I think he was just like, swinging no, it nice and smooth. Like, if you started doing that, you might look like Brady. Another thing I enjoyed was, like, the back nine. Uh, there was this par three, and we were just kind of laughing after the four hit their shot because I think Brady went first, and he put it to about six feet, and we were like, wow. Like, that's, like, his second best shot of the day, like, by far. Like, that was a great shot. And then Peyton goes, and he, he puts one even closer, like four or five feet. Phil goes, puts it to like three feet, and we're like, all right, well, who would have thought Tiger is like hitting last and like, <laughs> and he puts it to like 15, 20 feet, and we're like, me and my dad are just talking, like, imagine there was odds on that hole before the, before they teed off, like that Tiger would be the farthest to the hole, like, there, it would be, there would be 40 to one odds, I swear. That was the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, Russell was like, "I'll put up a hundred k in uh, meals." Everyone, twelve feet. feet. No, that was Kev. Yeah. Wasn't that Kev? Oh, sorry, there. yeah. Nah, no, that was that was Russell. No, it was yeah, it was Russell Wilson because it was twelve feet. His number. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah, no, no, it was Brooks Kepka who said if Brady makes a par on the front nine, I'll donate a hundred k, and then he's like, if he makes another par in one of the next two holes, I'll donate a hundred k. Yeah. But, let's just talk about the fact quickly. That twenty million dollars was raised for charity. Like, hats off to them. Fucking yeah, that was some, some good that's, work. That's what it's all about. I mean, yeah. we're dealing with unprecedented times and a lot of uncertainty. And what they're doing—not only raising money for charity, but they're providing happiness and they're providing entertainment for people while supporting such a good cause. So, hats off to everyone involved. They did a wonderful job. Capital One. Yeah. Overall, great job. I thought it was way more entertaining than the first match. The, For the sure. whole was expected, but just made it so much more entertaining. The change yeah. in format at the turn made it kind of flow really nicely. Yeah, I agree. And the cart cans were a game changer. Mm-hmm. But number one, Samuel L. Jackson. Like, he should commentate every sport ever. Couldn't agree. I love Charles Barkley. Get rid of Joe Buck. Bring on Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> 
I like Charles Barkley too, man. Like you gotta respect the guy that just knows he's terrible at golf, but just loves it and just loves for the game. Yeah, because good to embrace the bad shots of golf. Because if you don't, it's the most frustrating game in the world. You gotta just look at it as a humbling sport. Like when you saw Phil step up to the first tee and just hit like an atrocious drive, he snapped, hooked it. You're kind of like. All right, this is really humbling. Like this is Phil Mickelson, These literally. Guys are human after all, yeah. Literally looking like me on the first tee of the rock, like <laughs> taking to like hit the ball. Yeah. After uh, after I'm a key, after some pie. <laughs> no, I'm saying morning after the key. <laughs> you know, might have uh, the key bus got back pretty late. You know, I'm not gonna get into that. I don't listen. <laughs> think we're rambling. Couldn't agree more, man. I also, just quick fact check before we move into our final little bit of the match here. I said Russell Wilson, uh, his number was 12. I meant that the Seahawks, they're like, uh, yeah, you know, last man. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to make clarify. We knew what you were saying. We didn't even he need He was number 12, though, isn't it? No, he's number three. Oh, he's he number is number three. three. Yeah, and then they're able to 12 yeah. or whatever. 12th but man. Just wanted to fact check myself there, and let's move into the final thing here. So we talked pretty much entirely about all of the different great stuff that happened yesterday with the match, an unquestionable success. But now that we've kind of highlighted all that stuff, anything you guys are disappointed about? Because I know I have a couple things I think maybe could have you know gone a little bit better. Who wants to jump in first? So the first thing I'm going to say, I mean, I'm not surprised, but I know for you as a Broncos fan, disappointed you, you wanted to see Peyton Hammer in that final putt. And I mean... It was, like, less than a foot. But, like, I literally, the first, all I was thinking is Goldie sitting there and he just wants to see Peyton hammer this in. And then I think it was Phil who said, I want to see Peyton sink this. Yeah. Like, I we're not giving it to him. But then he's like, no, you're good. Like, because yeah. to be honest, it would have been, if he missed that, like, that could have started a whole controversy for, like, the people who bet on it or like just yeah. it was like down one on 18 it was a one footer and like it's Peyton Manning to go knock it in like I, I wanted to watch him knock that, it in and I know you Goldie even more than me wanted to see that I think I could build off that for something that kind of irritated me a bit because I was I was throwing a couple bets down on it not like nothing crazy a couple bucks on on a couple holes but what kind of irritated me I guess was that um kind of like like uh Nearing the turn, I guess, maybe around hole nine, I think Tom and Phil were down three strokes at the time. And uh, I was kind of, like, talking to my dad, like, this thing could could end on hole 13. Like, if there's five, six up, like, like that, that's not going to be good for, like, like, you know, donations and, you know, TV and whatever. So I was kind of – and then I noticed that uh, – they gave they conceded like a seven or eight foot putt to to Phil Phil and uh, Brady I guess in an attempt to kind of just keep no, the match going. Really good, good. They both had putts at around the same distance, so it was no, a good, good. No, 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 not not in the one I'm thinking of, man. They, they had they had a six foot putt, like not a gimme, and they gave it to them because they would have probably won the hole. Like they almost, I mean, if they missed that six footer they would have won the hole for sure but they just gave it to them because i guess they just didn't want the match to end early but it was kind of irritating for me because i bet on phil and or uh tiger and peyton that hole it so i know it's really irritating and it's tough and i hate saying this because i love letting my competitive juices flow 
But in re- in reality, it was about the charity and like you were saying that yeah. they kind of needed it to go on. Definitely. So I think the most legitimate way to do it is giving those type of putts because it really is them conceding the whole. It's not like yeah. the rules committee did something. It's like, no, they decided to give them the putt. Yeah. So I think, yes, it had to do with keeping the match going. But in it, some sense, they're out there. They wanted it to be tight for like their own style. Like there wasn't like it was for charity. Like they wanted definitely, to keep it yeah. coming. And big, I hate saying that. I want yeah. when, when it comes to sports, it's about stepping on the other guy's throat. But yeah. when when it's a charity event, when it's guys who are in a different arena, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady out on the golf course, like imagine putting Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson in pads and running the yeah. open drill. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, there's obviously the, the big goal in mind was just to raise money and, and they they raised a lot of it and therefore it was a success. I just think in uh, in a different scenario where they probably wouldn't have given them that putt, it would just probably help the integrity of the actual match. And I think some people would probably probably argue there's a bit of an asterisk on this match because of that. Because who knows? I mean, you can argue that with any conceded conceded putt, but that one was just a little little meat left on the bone. I uh, I just want to jump in here and address what both of you have said. So, firstly, Ryan couldn't agree more. You mentioned the first thing on my list. Obviously, haven't seen Peyton Manning on any sporting field, really, in anything other than you know detail or whatever. Yeah, detail uh, on ESPN Plus. Oh, good. Yeah, we see the commercials, we see him on, uh, we see him on detail, but we don't really get to see much of Peyton Manning aside from the occasional thing, and he's obviously one of my favorite, if not my favorite athlete of all time. So getting to see him, you know, have his second walk-off, so to speak, considering how Super Bowl 50 went and nail that final putt to win the match against Brady one more time, really would have been awesome, I can't lie. Like, that was pretty much the ideal ending in my mind, and we kind of got that taken away from us. But, you know, as you said, they kind of had to stick to the standard that they set early. They were giving uh, they were giving gimmies that were much, you know, much longer putts than what Peyton had. So that just that had to happen the way it did. So, you know, can't complain too much about that. And then about what you said, Poldy, I couldn't agree more that um, there definitely was a little bit of scheming here in order to keep the match tighter than it was. And I didn't bet on it, which I'm kind of upset about because I had Tiger and Peyton, which would have ended up paying off. But another thing, I remember looking at the betting odds in the middle of the match, and it was really was when uh, Tiger and Peyton were three up. And they were really, really like substantially in favor for Peyton and Tiger. It was something like, if any of you know these odds, I know there's different metrics, but it was like minus 8,000 for Tiger and plus 2,000 for Brady and Phil. And I'm thinking, as you guys are saying, this is a charity event. They're not going to let this get any more out of hand. Like they need to raise all this money. This isn't going to, this isn't going to go past four was what I was thinking. Tiger and Peyton get one more and then it's going to close up. Like I didn't think the match was over as quickly as some people thought it was or as as quickly as the betting odds thought they were. Yeah. No, like I've watched tons of match play over the years. Like the Dell match play is even one of my favorite events of the season. Like it's always a blast. Like no Tyler can say the same because we, uh, we've sat around, had a few cold ones over the years, watching some match play events. Just a few. Yeah. Three up, especially at the turn is a big lead. I know it seems close. Hey, that they can win three holes in a row, but like think about how many, like, 
where you have to hit your good shot shots and where they have to hit their bad shots have to match up so perfectly to make up three holes. So I think yeah. really the alternate shot format was designed to keep it closer in that sense. Yeah. To be honest, it was really entertaining seeing Brady and Manning have to play their own balls, hit them out of the shit. Yeah. But it's unreasonable for 18 holes and they wanted to keep it flowing and keep people engaged. So that transition was it worked really well, but it was designed to keep it closer. Yeah, I, yeah. go ahead, Gold. I was just going to say, it was really interesting how it played out in that respect because there were two different formats, and obviously the latter of the two was, I guess, kind of tailored to keeping the match close. But another thing is, it really did work out well for Phil and Tom, despite the loss, that Brady was able to recoup his game, you know, relatively recoup his game in that yeah. back nine. Because if he struggled like he did on the front line, on the back nine, they would have been fucked. Because yeah. they had to alternate shots and every second shot would have been into the woods. So Brady pulled it together just in time for them to make the comeback. And it was really fucking close, honestly. That kind of sounds like yeah. me and Polly when we're playing a match. Like, you know, <laughs> I'll make three doubles somehow and Polly will par every single one of them. And then, like, Polly might make a double and I'll somehow sink a birdie putt. Yeah. Them. If we were playing stroke play, we both would have shat the bed, but we're somehow taking down guys who are better than us. So, yeah. Really looking forward to some more match play. Just like we did on Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. at Springfield Golf and Country Club. Shout out to uh, Great Wings, by the way. I'm going to shout out Springfield yeah. Golf Country Club in Guelph, Ontario. Guelph, Ontario. Yeah. Wings, they have a efficient system for uh, you call, they have a, a phone number on the 18th tee box. You call in, and by the time you get to the green, your wings are ready. So, oh, yeah. Shout out to Springfield. Awesome track for a good price. That's legit. Honestly, that's sweet. That's, that's yeah. sick. And uh, just building on the alternate shot uh, format, yeah, I think it I think it definitely allowed Tom to uh, take a little pressure off his own game, just having, you know, just, I guess, being on the tee, knowing that they, they're not going to have to use this shot or this ball might, you know, might not really matter type of thing. I just think that helped him kind of like swing a, a smoother, kind of more complete swing and just kind of dial down some, some distance to, uh, to, to hit some fairways and, and give him a chance. So, uh, yeah, we got to kind of hand it to him. Agreed, man. Honestly, completely agreed. One last disappointment. None of us mentioned it, although, Poli, I think this was one of the first thing you mentioned when we started the interview, the commentary. I'm a commentary nut. I love listening to, like, that the experts give their insight and all that especially with football and golf in particular those are two sports where commentary is crucial so having the technical issues was a pretty big disappointment in my mind because yeah. there were times where you know you wanted to hear what charles was about to say or you wanted to hear what brady or Peyton was saying after they changed their shot and the technical stuff was kind of making it too difficult to pick up that kind of sucked hopefully we can get that shit worked out but hey i'm just kind of being nitty picky we got sports back and it was a great event so that's yeah. my on that Agreed. So I think we covered pretty much uh, everything on the match. Was there any last points you guys wanted to discuss before we uh, moved on to the 24-team uh, hockey playoff format? I think we're all good. I think so, we're pretty solid, yeah. It was I'm a good a, event. Question for you, Paul Crone, just to uh, get her started. I know I was really excited to, have, uh, to hear your opinion about hockey today. So 24-team playoff format, 12 12 teams from east side, four teams with a bye. What do yeah. you think about that? So where I stand with kind of this whole um, sports world returning kind of 
conversation is that uh, when things get proposed in each league, like I know baseball is obviously talking about shortening their season and even like obviously having no fans, but even having the players sit in the stands instead of the, the dugouts to socially distance, stuff like that. I think there's always going to be people on each side of the debate. I mean, for pretty much anything, but I think, I think the NHL actually did a really, really good job of kind of like think weighing out all the kind of implications and, uh, you know, like, I don't know. The only kind of tough part for me is when you think about a team like the Leafs who had above a 90% chance of making the playoffs, 95 or something, because Florida was shit in the bed at the end of the year. They were looking great. They were going to definitely get in. It was looking like. But now they're going to have to play, looks like Columbus, who beat out the number one seed, last, swept the number one seed last year. So now they got to play them in a five-game series. And, you know, you just kind of like, is that fair? And, like, there's other teams that maybe don't deserve to be in that 12 teams that could have a chance and kind of pull off a Cinderella story like the Blues did last year. So I think they did a really good job at the Players Association and players kind of agreeing on an outcome that it looks like both sides would be okay with. But that being said, I think definitely there's always going to be people who think it's a shitty idea or think it's a great idea. So, Dicker, what do you think? Well, I'm just going to start off with great job to the NHL Players Association. They do a really good job of working with the best interests of the players. I know I would say it's the number one players association in that thing like MLB, NFL, especially NFL and NBA. I think they really could learn a lot from the Players Association in the NHL. As you see, the players like to get involved, and they actually do it in a really, really interactive, good way instead of it being grueling negotiations. So I'm really excited to see what happens. The one thing that worries me is, like Tyler said, these five-game series with matchups that wouldn't happen under the normal playoff format could be really dangerous. As we saw, Columbus taking down Tampa Bay last year. I mean, anything could happen. Anything could happen in a playoff series or in any given hockey game and a best of five a best of five series makes the cinderella story more likely to happen i love cinderella stories in hockey but if we're changing up the script there's always going to be controversy with it so i'm excited to see how it plays out yeah i totally agree both of you guys have gave credit to the nhlpa and how they went about constructing this proposal i want to ask either of you a question whoever wants to take it first but we've kind of been seeing how all of these different sports leagues are aiming to return as soon as they can and they all kind of have a different way of going about proposing these alternatives that are gonna i guess be the platform for their return i want to tie this in we're going to keep the con uh, the conversation to nhl but in the nba there's been a lot of talk recently about how they're going to go about deciding their playoff format and what i read recently is that they're going to make it a team vote as opposed to something based from the players association they're going to give each team a vote to determine whether or not they'd rather go straight to the playoffs rather or not they'd have you know some sort of play in tournament for similar to the nhl like give 12 teams the opportunity as opposed to the normal you know 
eight or so, or if they just want to open it up to all 32. And what my question is, now that I referenced that, is do you think systems like that might be a little unfair in the sense that teams who aren't in playoff spots might want to vote for the alternative that gives them the best chance for making a playoff run and succeeding rather than the option that's actually the most equitable? So first off, before we even get to that, the internal politics of this could be absolutely detrimental to chemistry within organizations. I mean, if it comes down to team votes, which I don't even think it will, it's going to be even more of the the ownership power, general managers kind of imposing what they want and then coming back with players coming back with counter proposals. And it's going to create a bad environment. I really don't like the internal conflicts within an organization. It's the number one thing you're trying to avoid especially going into playoffs in an unprecedented time where we've never seen something like this. But, no, I really think it has to come down to a player's vote. I think if you go to the, if you go for, like, a team vote, there's too much influence involved. And there's too, much, there's too much monetary influence that can't be ignored because at that point, that just affects corporate partnerships. Yeah. yeah. My thoughts exactly. Yeah, I, I agree, Dicker. I think... I think ultimately we all know sports don't happen without the players and I've seen a lot of a lot of players in, in all sports kind of um, put their opinion forth on this like whole pandemic matter and uh, like to a lot of people's surprise a lot of athletes don't even want to come back and and compete and you know run the risk of, of cont- contracting the virus and you know, even being away from their loved ones at times like this, like a lot of the players, you know, maybe to, to a lot of people's surprise would, would not even want the the season to continue if it's if the world is like it is right now. Well, that's a tough situation to think about because it's <clears throat> completely dependent on the league's handle, the contracts. And the, as the MLBs discussed, they wanted to give prorated contracts to make up for the losses. And I mean, that's something that the players are going to say, no, we want to get back and play baseball because then they're losing their full contracts. Where in the NBA, I feel like there is a good chunk of players who are all right taking a little break and still getting their paychecks. I think think Mark Cuban, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, said it best when he said that the actions of organizations in this time are going to impact their reputation and their standing in society for generations to come. Because when I'm looking at this situation and we're referencing all these different sports leagues that are taking, you know, differing approaches to returning, I very much agree with what you guys are saying, that you need to keep a players oriented approach, because that's how you maintain this common ground between, you know, management and organization and higher ups and the players who they're employing. And that's how you kind of keep this cohesion. So I, I like what the NHL is doing, giving it to the Players Association, allowing them to construct a proposal, which then goes to the league. I think that's something that's going to build goodwill in the eyes of the players in this kind of, you know, intimidating time, to say the least. I don't really agree with the NBA's way of going about it because it seems a little flawed to me. I feel like it's inevitable that teams that are shit are going to try and get themselves playoff spots that they don't really deserve. So... Yeah, or or yeah. draft pick spots. Like, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say, but you you could, you could kind of argue that like maybe they should do something where it might and it might be hard to work out the numbers, but say there's a team like Portland who's ninth in the West, for example. I don't know if they actually are, but say they have they're three and a half games behind, and then the ninth place in the East is four and a half games behind. 
I think maybe in that case, adding maybe five or six games to just maybe allow that one swing spot to to maybe like because like that's all it would really matter about like because because in in really any league like at this point in the season whether it be hockey or basketball you can kind of tell which teams are going to make it and which aren't and there's definitely going to be one or two swing teams per conference that you know could win out and have a good chance and stuff like that but I think, I think it's a lot more likely in yeah. hockey than basketball. So I actually like the expanded playoff format a lot more in hockey. So one last thing I really wanted to talk about with the NHL playoff format is do you think one of these play-in teams who could be an underdog in one of these best-of-five series could take down one of the top four seeds who have gotten to buy? And how do you think the reaction to that will be? Well... I mean, you gotta, you gotta think. I mean, and I have heard that the top four teams will get some sort of competitive game with other, with the other by teams, whether that will count for seeding or not, just to get them kind of back in shape. Um, but you kind of gotta think that, like with the, like with, I mean, especially in hockey too, like it's the hardest trophy to win for a reason, and because you gotta. You got to win four hockey games in, in four series. So it's. Hey, we don't need, I don't even think they need the competitive, uh, the competitive warm up games. They just need to take the Herb Brooks approach again. Again. <laughs> again. Again. <laughs> yeah, so, honestly. To end, it up, to end it on there, is there um, any other comments you guys have about sports coming back, the NHL playoff format? Well, uh, I guess one one last statement here for me. We kind of talked about the idea of there being like an asterisk beside whoever wins the championship and really whatever sport that's being compromised. I keep making basketball references, but in the last dance, I forgetting which season it was when Michael Jordan got injured and came back with like 20 games to go left in the regular season. They ended up losing in the playoffs. He said that those 20 games of regular season NBA basketball with access to facilities and all that weren't enough for him to get his legs back to get into real, you know, Michael Jordan playoff form. I think that's enough insight for us as sports fans to recognize that as much as we don't want to put an asterisk on whoever wins the championship, because, you know, they, they won the championship, all power to them whenever it happens. They, uh, they're having their season somewhat compromised in the sense that they don't have their normal routines. They can't, you know, practice their game as much as they normally would. And it's going to impact the quality as much as we all, you know, hate to kind of admit it. That's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. I think more importantly, we need to get an asterisk beside the Houston Astros name. <laughs> oh, there's already so, a couple. On that note, I just want to thank Tyler for coming on. That was a ton of fun. Thank you, boys. Uh, I'm sure we'll get out there and hit some golf balls together soon. So we'll chat later. But thank you for coming on Let's Talk Sports. That was a blast. Boys, uh, I'll I'll hop on any time. I appreciate it. That was fun. Thanks, Bully. Much appreciated, dude. Looking forward to having you again. All right. Talk to you, boys, soon. Thanks.